today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. If I live my life with the anticipation that God will use me, then I'm going to see these interactions, these intersections of my life as something that God is working through His overall majestic plan for His glory and for His might. And it's through those times that you allow God to work and move in your life in that way. I believe that it's through those times that you and I experience that freshness that excitement of God in our life. Do we believe that God desires to move and work in our lives? We should be living our lives in anticipation that God will use us for His overall plan. Do we trust that God is sovereign over our lives and that He has a plan for us? Today on The Open Word, Pastor David will teach us about how God uses ordinary people to accomplish His will. We will also learn that there are no coincidences in life but that God is always in control. God is willing and able to use us when we are willing and able vessels. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, A Life of Surrender. your Bible and turn to the gospel according to Luke, as we are doing our study in Luke right now. Luke chapter 2 is where we're at. I enjoy going through the the gospels and probably just about every uh, history book because there's a lot of narrative, there's a lot of characters there and as we go through we we see the characters, we come to understand them, the, the different individuals, how God is moving and working in their lives and how powerful that is to be able to to dwell into the fact that God uses ordinary people. Ordinary people just like you and I and suddenly their names are listed in the Bible for all of time and how God is willing and able to do that when we are willing and able and usable vessels. Amen? Amen. Amen. That was kind of like about 40% of you maybe. The rest of you will work on today, okay? We are in Luke chapter 2 as we've been going verse by verse through the, the gospel according to Luke. We are uh, in chapter 2, near the end of chapter 2. Last week we saw how God had used actually two individuals, Simeon and Anna. And from everything that we know about Simeon and Anna, uh, they were ordinary people. Uh, I don't believe that Simeon was a priest. I don't believe that he was of any kind of uh, status within the community. But he was a man that was listening to God and desired God to work and move in his life. Anna, a, a, a widowed woman who 
more than likely lived there at the temple complex or compound area as she served and ministered there at the temple. The word says through prayer and fastings day and night. God working and moving in their lives. And because of that, they were two individuals that lived their lives with anticipation and expectation that the Lord was going to come soon. He was going to come to bring that consolation of Israel, to bring the redemption of Jerusalem. And that's how they lived their lives. That's how they, uh, again, uh, in their relationship with the Lord. We see as Mary and Joseph brought the Christ child into the temple, not only for his dedication, but also for Mary's purification. God was already working in the lives of Simeon and Anna to bring them to the right place at the right times. Now, some might look at that and say, well, it was just a coincidence that those things happened. I want to tell you, the the older I get and the more I study the Word of God, the less I believe in coincidences and the more I believe in God incidences that God brings into our path and crosses our path individuals and situations, circumstances that He intends to use for His glory. If we are living our lives with that anticipation that God can use me, if I live my life with the anticipation that God will use me, then I'm going to see these interactions, these intersections of my life as something that God is working through his overall majestic plan for his glory and for his might. And it's through those times that you allow God to work and move in your life in that way. I believe that it's through those times that you and I experience that freshness, that excitement of God in our life. These are the times that I wish that the Bible would give us a little bit more of the story. Kind of the follow-up story of Simeon and Anna. Can you imagine, the, again, just the excitement and, and the blessings that, that they experienced? Simeon and Anna uh, were the ones who were one of the first to meet face-to-face the Messiah, even though he was just a baby. He was the one who was born, again, for the redemption of Israel and for all of mankind. I can only imagine their stories as they went off to meet family and to meet friends. That excitement, that anticipation that was there. And again, it says that Anna spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption of Israel there at the end of verse 38. Well, now in verse 39... We see this continuation of the actions of Mary and Joseph and the Christ child. Verse 39, chapter 2 of the Gospel according to Luke. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. There's only one problem here with this. If you've read your Bible very much, you know that there were some other incidents that happened in the life of Mary, Joseph, and Christ. I personally believe that in the middle of verse 39, in the middle of verse 39, that the entirety of chapter 2 of Matthew took place. Remember the Magi, the, the wise men, coming. We're going to look at that in a moment. Once again, Mary and Joseph, from everything we see here, their intent was after they had gone to the temple, after they had gone through the purification rite for Mary, after they had dedicated Jesus, I believe that their plan was 
to go back, get their things together, head back to Galilee, and continue their life there in Nazareth. But you know what, gang? Once again, once again, their plans were interrupted. They had set plans in motion, I believe, just as you and I would. But once again, God interrupts their plans. And that brings us, I believe, to the time frame and the events of Matthew chapter 2. Now, we're not going to make it back to Luke this morning. We're done with Luke this morning. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 2, okay? I know this is a verse-by-verse study through Luke, but we've, we've got to bring the Matthew incident in because it is part, again, of the story of Christ and the events of his life. In Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now we don't know the exact time frame. It could have been very easily, I believe, as, as I've allowed my mind just to be, be stretched in this, within the, the confines of the facts that we know within the Word of God, to allow my mind to kind of wonder how all of this came to place. I believe that it's very possible, and again, this isn't Scripture, this is Pastor David's speculation, okay? I believe it would be just like God, that on the very day that Mary and Joseph and the Christ child were in the temple, that a group of distinguished men from the east made their way into Jerusalem and just a few blocks away from the temple compound, there at Herod's palace, were having an audience with Herod. And they were asking, where is he who's born king of the Jews? I know, I know, I know. All, all of the Christmas cards, they've got, you know, the, the shepherds and the wise men all together. All of our nativity scenes, they've got the shepherds and the wise men. Everybody's there at the stable with, with Christ. I, I understand that. The only problem is I don't think it's biblical at all. Because if you remember last week, we talked about the days that had to be accomplished in Mary's life before she could be purified, before she could go to the temple with that offering. Had to be 40 days according to the law. Eight days, Jesus was again circumcised. Um, 33 days later, she could go through the purification service, 40 days in all. I don't believe that the wise men had come at that point in time. Otherwise, Mary and Joseph, there's no way that they would have gone into Jerusalem. When we look at the story, we find that immediately once they meet with the wise men, the magi, they beat feet down to to Egypt and and get out of the area because they know that their life is, uh, is being threatened by Herod. These highly educated men from countries far to the east, they're coming and they're meeting with Herod the king. These are learned men coming from places like Persia and and Arabia, places that today we look at and we know them as Iran and, and Jordan and Saudi Arabia. Again, very easily, I believe that their trip could have started 40 days ago because of the distance that they had traveled. Maybe they saw the star there in the east on the night that Christ was born. And they began to look into their, their, their documents that they had and, and to look through all the scrolls that they had. And then they determined and, and planned and purposed to make that trip. Perhaps even just this day that Mary and Joseph and Jesus are at the temple, 
they're there meeting with Herod. These men were devoted to philosophy. They were trained in astronomy. They were knowledgeable in, 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 in medical issues and pharmacology. They, they, they were educated in a variety of religious practices, both ancient to their times as well as current to their times. And don't forget that in that area that they're coming from, this is the area where Daniel spent all of his life following that captivity to Babylon. And do you remember as you've studied the word what, what position Daniel had there in Babylon? He became the leader of the wise men there of that area. He became one of these magi. And with him, he brought the scriptures and he brought the faith of Jehovah God of the Jews with him. And I believe that he left an indelible mark on these learned men. His influence and the influence of the Hebrew scriptures, again, making an impact during that time. These men came to Jerusalem. Why did they come to Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the, the center of political power. It was the center of religious power in that entire region. They came because it had been, uh, become known to them that there was to be born in that area a king, a ruler, of the Jews. You see, Simeon and, and Anna, they weren't the only ones that had this anticipation, this expectation that something was going to happen. We find that, again, all throughout that area, many had heard and read ancient scriptures and, and ancient texts with this anticipation that this was a time of change. A Roman historian, a pagan, by the name of Suetonius, writes this, he says, an ancient and settled persuasion prevailed throughout the East that the fates, okay, that's their way of saying gods, but they don't want to say gods, so they say that the fates had decreed that someone would proceed from Judea who would attain universal and a universal empire. Another pagan Roman historian, Tacitus, he says, many were persuaded that it was contained in the ancient book of their priests that at that very time the East should prevail and that someone should proceed from Judea and possess the dominion. Perhaps these magi had been studying the scriptures that had been left by Daniel. Daniel, again, a Jew that had been risen with, within Jewish understanding, within the scriptures, and then he rose in prominence there in the Middle East, there in the Babylonian area, leaving his mark, leaving the testimony of the greatness of his God. Josephus and, and Philo, two Jewish historians of the first century, write uh, again, they make mention of the same kind of expectation from the people in that area. The fact that such a person was expected is a historical certainty. And it's with that same certainty, it's with that expectation that these wise men, these magi, came to inquire again where he was born. They wanted to seek him out. And in their own words, they said, we want to come and worship him. Look at verse three with me, if you would. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. You've probably heard the saying that if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> that's, that's the situation we find here. 
Herod the king, uh, the ruler over all of this area, he is troubled. And so if the king is troubled, you, you can bet your life you're going to be troubled too. And so all of Judea or all of Jerusalem with him. Verse four, and when he had gathered all of the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it's written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So in verse 7, Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, he determined from them what time the star appeared. Now, this is kind of a, a little bit of a hint to us, particularly when we look further on into chapter 2. Remember, once Herod understands that he's been tricked by the wise men, he sends his forces down into the area of Bethlehem, and he kills all the male children from birth to what? Two years of age. So I'm thinking, well, maybe even for these wise men, maybe that star, they saw it two years ago even. And they started studying and looking, and it's taken them this long to process it. Again, we don't know for sure how long it took the Magi from seeing the star until they finally arrived there in Jerusalem. We also need to understand that as knowledgeable and as highly regarded as the Magi were throughout all of the Middle East, it wasn't just their words. Again, their words, their, their understanding that the king had already been born, their inquiry as to which house he was located in, all of this added to that current thought, the current anticipation of the culture. Herod wasn't ignorant of Judaism. As a matter of fact, he was, he was born half Jew, and so he was knowledgeable of these things. And because of the word of the Magi, and because of the prevailing beliefs of his time, Herod was now really troubled. Why was he troubled? Number one, because he was afraid that someone was going to come and rise up to take his position as king. Number two, he was worried because if, again, the Jews rose up in any kind of a rebellion, then his place, according to Rome, who was over him, was his authority that they would take him out because he wasn't able to maintain the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. How was the peace of Rome maintained? By the sword. You get out of line, you get the sword. We're back into peace again. And Herod was troubled that again, some kind of a rebellion was going to start up if this king was born. And so he conceived this plan where the, the, the Magi, once they found the Christ child, they would bring him notice where he could be found. And all the while, in the deceitfulness of his heart, he was planning on killing the child. Herod wanted to kill the one who he felt threatened his throne. Look at verse 9. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So after receiving instruction that the child was to be born in Bethlehem, the Magi continued on their journey until they came down into Bethlehem. Now, this is only about six miles away. But according to your version there, whatever version of the Bible that you have, it doesn't say that they came to the manger. It doesn't say they came to the stable. They came to what? They came to the house. And then the Greek word there is oikia. Oikia, which means a domestic abode, primarily a residence or a home. 
So once again, all of our Christmas pageants, you know, when we get all the, the elementary school age kids and, you know, we got the little bitty kids that are dressed in shepherd's outfits. And then we got a couple of the older ones that are dressed up in the wise men outfits. And we've got little, uh, you know, Mother Mary here and the baby, which is usually a plastic doll, all up here and we're all ready to go. And, and the wise men and the shepherds all show up on the scene at the same time. No, that's not how it happened. This is some time later that the wise men have come now to be there. It says that when they came, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I believe that it had been at least 40 days that had passed since the time of the birth of Jesus before the wise men came. For a variety of reasons, number one, as I shared earlier, they wouldn't have gone to Jerusalem. But number two, here these wise men, these magi, gave them gifts. One of those gifts was gold. And remember, Mary had to make a, 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 a sacrifice for her purification. And Luke tells us that she made a sacrifice of either turtle doves or, or pigeons. But yet the over the, the, the greater sacrifice, the preferred sacrifice, would have been a lamb. If they would have had the gold of the Magi, they would have bought a lamb to bring. I, I have absolutely no doubt. So again, I believe that when we look at this, we see this, this time going, uh, that uh, undoubtedly at least 40 days. Somehow and in some way, Maybe it was out of pity or because they finally found a a family member there in Bethlehem. They had moved from that manger setting and now they are at least in a room of a particular home. And it was there that these magi found him and they presented the gifts. Now, another, here's a real test for you. How many magi, how many wise men were there? Well, depending upon what you look at, whether you look at what the Bible says or whether you talk about tradition. Tradition says that there was four of them. One got lost along the way. How that happened, I don't know. So that brings us to three. And you think, well, why three? Well, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's three gifts. Must have been three wise men. Have you ever thought the fact it could have been 20 wise men? It could have been 30 wise men. It could have been 50 wise men. It could have been a huge entourage of a a large camel train coming in with all of these. Or it could have been as few as two wise men. Number one, we know that it was more than one because the Bible speaks of it in a plural sense. But beyond that, we don't know. What we do know is that whatever number, whether it be 50 or whether it be two, the wise men presented gifts. So next time we have a Christmas pageant, we don't need just three wise men. Maybe we can get all of the youth to be the wise men, whatever way we want to go. They presented three gifts. Gold, the gift to give to a king, a present of, of, of great value to one that has a distinguished rank. They also gave to him frankincense, Again, frankincense was used in the duties of the priest, burning this frankincense as they went around about the ceremony and the rituals within the temple. They also gave myrrh. Myrrh, an interesting spice, most often used in the burial process for embalming the dead, but also used as a sweet-smelling perfume. It was also used in a third way. When mixed with wine, it had a numbing effect, uh, kind of to dull the senses and to lessen physical pain. Again, we see these uses of it. 
These gifts were given, I believe, prophetically. With or without the understanding of the Magi, I believe that God had them present these gifts to the one who was king, priest, and sacrificed. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us more.